welcome to The Progression Puzzle, the podcast that provides you with invaluable pieces of career wisdom brought to you by Barrington Hibbert Associates. I'm your host, Michael Barrington Hibbert, and across the podcast, I'll be speaking to a variety of esteemed leaders, thinkers, and inspiring figures from the world of finance, banking, professional services, and beyond to understand how their progression puzzles have pieced together. From words of wisdom to pointers on progression, we'll be equipping you with the skills, practices, and learnings necessary, not only to navigate corporate environments, but to thrive within them and ultimately pursue your professional goals. Today, we have something a little bit different. You are getting two guests in one session. I'm truly delighted to introduce my guests today, Daryl Coker and Nee Cleland, cousins, friends, and co-founders of the exciting and innovative analytics platform, Flare, which is helping businesses measure their racial bias. Daryl Nee will be telling us about Flair, how the Black Lives Matter protests and events of 2020 inspire them to pivot and change their business, the challenges of Black founders in raising capital, and much, much more. Daryl, Nee, a warm welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Our pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, look, first of all, um, you know, so many people have been so excited about what you both have done with, with Flair. So I think it's really important that we actually start talking about what is Flair, what are your roles there, and, and be able to talk to our, our listeners and, and viewers about the importance of the platform. Sure, I'll start. So Flair is a racial equity technology company. Um, and what we do is we help organizations measure their progress towards creating racially equitable cultures. Um, and yeah, we are the co-founders, Daryl and I, I'm the CEO, Daryl's um, head of product. And essentially, our, our role is all about helping the company achieve its mission, which is to help create a world in which all ethnicities can thrive. Yeah, and for us, really, success is that endpoint of a world free of racial bias. So we understand that it's a very long journey. And when we work with organizations, be it businesses or schools, we really stress the importance of having patience. And it's not going to happen overnight. But I think the real thing that's been missing from the ecosystem is measurement and data to really kind of drive that progress. So that's the main bit that we focus on as a business. And, and, and talk to me about... Flair, because we, we spoke about in the, the intro about 2020, you know, b- being a, a, a very much a pivotal moment, not just in business, but in life in terms of cultural evolution. How did 2020 impact Flair from a business standpoint, but also impact you as leaders? Yeah, really good question. So I guess the current iteration of Flair was born out of 2020 and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, When George Floyd was murdered, Daryl and I being kind of black tech founders, we were doing a lot of kind of podcasts, uh, 
writing articles about uh, being black in tech and what it meant to us. And we did a lot of kind of reflection of, of our own lives and experiences with regards to racial kind of inequity. Um, and we started kind of looking around us and looking at what organizations, governments, uh, businesses were doing in response to, to the resurgence. And I think what kind of dawned on us was that we felt that the whole response was very, very rushed. Um, and we, we felt that organizations needed to kind of take a step back and really think about why have they got these cultures, what is driving them, um, and also how are they going to measure their progress over time? Um, and that's where the idea for, for Flare Impact was born. Yeah, I think on a personal level, from being honest, 2020 was really, really difficult. I think we went into the year very excited. Um, we had really big ambitions. Our background was actually building another business in a, in a very different space. And the pandemic meant that all at once, so many things started to go wrong. And we were really faced with a dilemma of what impact we want to make in the world. How do we actually keep the business going? How do we keep our team motivated through what are really uncertain times? And I think for us, it's probably the moment where we both kind of spoke to each other and said, what do we want to do going forward? at this moment in time, that's kind of what allowed us to then decide to kind of change gears and, and move in this direction. So at the time, it, it was it was just really a blur of of emotion and and a real challenge to actually get through the pandemic at all. And, and look, I'm, I'm really keen to to talk about this because I'm not saying Flair in its first iteration was a failure, but I think it's really important to discuss this with our, our viewers and listeners in terms of what lessons you learned from that, because the Flare platform was born in 2017. It was focused on football, um, had exponential growth, and certainly 2020 was going to be a exponential year for you in terms of revenue sign up. So talk to me about that adversity. So not only did you have to deal with um, 2020 George Floyd as black men, you also had to deal with the paradigm of being founders of a company where you went from a um, certain amount of subscriptions down to, to zero. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about the resilience that, that, that you had to show as founders and why you decided to make the pivot. How difficult was that? Yeah, so I guess Flare Football, what it was, was a mobile app for kids uh, that let them track their football performances. We did it for three years. Uh, we grew the community to about 25,000, raised rounds of funding, um, had six full-time employees. And really our blood, sweat and tears went into that business for over three years. Um, it really was our baby. Um, and having it kind of taken from us overnight in March of last year when the, when the lockdown was announced, it was, it was difficult, but I think what's so important as a founder is to be resilient. Like that is probably the, the most important trait of founders. And we weren't ready to give up uh, because for us, like the, the mission of Flare Football was important, but there was so much more that was important to what we were doing. It was the people around us. It was the, 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 like the team um, and our shareholders. And we just felt that, there was no need to give up because ultimately there are so many different problems in the world that, 
that one can solve. Um, playing football is just one of them. And to be honest, we're more passionate about other things. So um, we we felt that it was it was a sensible thing to not give up and to to think about where else we could go. And George Floyd's murder just it came at I guess uh, the well uh, I, I hate to say this, but it came at the right time I guess for us in terms of our pivot uh, because it gave us a new focus. Yeah, I think for us, one thing that was really important was just being able to take a step back with flair football. Everything was always 100 miles an hour and we were always looking at what's the next target? How many users are we trying to reach? Where are we in the app store? And I think the pandemic basically just made the entire world just shut down for a few weeks. Everyone was kind of in shock and trying to just have their thoughts and figure out where things stood. And it gave us and the whole team a chance to really just think, what do we want? Where are we heading? What are we trying to achieve in the world? And I think that was really important for us to just take those few weeks to just really look in the mirror and just reflect when often as a founder, you can kind of just get caught up in the speed of everything. Um, and that's something that even now building Flare Impact, I always try and remind myself of, you need to kind of create that time to just take a step back, look in the mirror, think, reflect on where you're heading. I use the Christmas period as an opportunity to do that myself where I was just thinking about the business and obviously trying to have a rest as well. But I just think it's so important that if you want to be resilient, you need to sometimes just give yourself the time to to figure out where you're heading um, and not let life kind of just rush you by. And, and those are two really important um, tips, the two R's, reflection and resilience. And, and, I, I, and I, I really do hope that the listeners and viewers of, of this podcast are going to take away so many antidotal stories from these two inspirational leaders. Now, this is where the resilience component comes in. If the people haven't heard this before about Flair, they have raised $1.8 million in a recent round. They were oversubscribed people. They were people looking to invest in this innovative platform. It's important around context. Less than Two years ago, the resilience shown by me and Daryl, they had to go to a crowdfunding platform to raise money to get through the pandemic. So when you're in a situation where you're up against a wall, I really think it's important to look to leaders like Daryl and me who reflected and showed that resolution in order to pivot their business. Now, what I would like to discuss now is the fact that you did raise $1.8 million, which is incredible. Now, according to a recent um, article in the FT, there really is an issue around black founders, co-founders being able to raise money within the UK from VCs, from privacy equity firms. I'm really keen for you to, to, to walk through your experiences of this process and actually what's actually involved. Yeah, no, really, really good question. Um, and those statistics are, yeah, they're, they're really concerning and sad to see. Um, I think our approach was a volume play. So we just built a list of every single fund out there um, and really kind of went at as many as possible uh, because 
eventually you will find that that fund that looks past uh the the founders their skin color in, in, that they see in front of them and really ultimately cares mostly about the business that's that's being created and we are really fortunate to have um vcs that were really keen to get involved um and they they actually were some of the first that we reached out to so maybe we got quite lucky in that regard like it wasn't as much of a of a hustle as as we as we kind of foresaw um that being said i do think that the venture community are making strides forward um in terms of investing more and more in in black founders i think 2021 um it was quite noticeable that quite a lot of black founders were getting funded and i think what's key now is for that momentum to continue we don't want it to just be a one-off response to the to the george floyd uh murder um vcs need to continue funding the best businesses regardless of protected characteristics yeah i think it's largely an awareness challenge that's got us to where we are now where last year and the year before a lot of people realized some of those statistics that you mentioned that there were real inequities in terms of things like funding, healthcare. And I think that's really helped people to kind of open their eyes to some of the challenges that people from different backgrounds are facing. So I definitely think the timing of when we raised our round kind of fit into that quite nicely. But as Lee said, what's important is that that awareness remains the same and that society doesn't get complacent with where we are and where we need to be. And there's still such a huge, huge way to go. I see so many businesses doing incredible things and I'm just like you should be raising millions with with what you're doing and and it's not necessarily always that easy so I do think we have a long way to go still but I think the awareness is now there and the momentum has shifted in terms of fundraising and, and it's got some amazing platforms such as ImpactX, um, Cornerstone which which really make a a play of getting around and and supporting um, ethnic ethnic minority owned businesses but what advice would you give to um, individuals, whether they're, they're black, ethnic minority, women, who want to go and raise funds? What was the process like for you both? Because I've certainly not gone through that. So tell me what the process was like. What advice would you give to our listeners and hearers who want to go out to the street and, and raise a couple of million dollars? Mm. Yeah, I guess it depends what stage your business is at. Um... We've, we've in the past raised prior to having a product, we've raised when we're growing our user base, we've raised when we have revenue, and the process kind of differs each time. Um, but I think that the key thing is all about the messaging that you go out to, to the VC with. You really need to um, explain what makes you different, um, why they should take the conversation with you, and why your business fits their kind of thesis. And I think, one thing that we did well was really craft um, very tailored messages to investors such that we didn't need warm intros because they were so taken aback by the time that we'd spent to put together those cold outreach emails that it would have almost been like cruel for them not to take the meetings. Um, so I think having that mindset of you don't need a network, you don't need a warm intro to, to get in front of adventure is is actually really really important because that can hold you back um waiting to be introduced yeah and i'd just add to that just 
just not expecting people to knock on your door, coming to you wanting to invest in your company, being proactive, finding out, okay, what are these organizations I'm trying to reach out to? What are the things that they're interested in? Doing your research and just treating it as something that is difficult because when you have that in your mind, I think when we started the fundraise, we'd had some quite tricky experiences with raising from VC. And that kind of puts us in a position where we we knew the bar was high, we knew we needed to be good, we knew the message needs to be strong. And we went in with a very targeted approach, with a very targeted list of relevant VCs, a very clear message, very clear alignment with what they look to invest in. And I think it's just about being very serious about how can I convince someone to take a call with me? And then from that point onwards, it's about having a clear vision, having good metrics and traction. So, but getting your foot in the door is is all about just thinking methodically about what will make someone want to take this meeting with me. Um, so really spending time to craft that narrative is important. Incredible. So again, we keep referring back to 2020. You as, as individuals were profoundly impacted and, and uh, as black in, individuals. And, and we'll talk a little bit about the beginning because I'm really keen and I'm sure our listeners and viewers are keen because you are cousins and the environment that you brought up with, I, I was keen to understand what role models that you had. But we go back to 2020 in terms of Flair pivoted. You as leaders from a resilient standpoint um, doubled down you reflected, but also a number of organizations made commitments in 2020 when it came to uh, race and inclusion. A lot of organizations promised to do better around addressing racial bias. However, many of us know that this is just the tip of the iceberg. So how are Flair encouraging firms to engage in the platform and make decisive action? Yeah, I think um, the first thing that we do is try and help organizations realize where they are in the process. Um, so firstly, have they identified already where their racial bias may lie? Um, have they got a program in place to address it? And if so, how are they going to measure progress? And I think it's usually that final question of how are you going to measure progress that people don't really have an answer for. Um, so that's how we we predominantly engage by by making them realize that it's not just about doing stuff. It's actually about proving that what you're doing is working, because there's no point investing millions and millions in in things if in 10 years time, these same problems are just going to going to recur. Um and yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's where we really focus is about that accountability to, to making meaningful change that is measurable, um, that all this investment is worthwhile. Yeah. And what we try and convince organizations of is that this space, racial equity is no different than any other area of business. Like if it was marketing or sales or technology, you wouldn't invest all this time, money, effort without having a way of measuring, are you making progress? And you have that across all these different parts of a business where you have metrics, you have measures of performance, you have accountability. You can see where's the progress being made and where it's not being made and then adapt your strategies without that kind of structure and framework within the racial equity space. You have situations where people have a spike of interest, where people 
with the best intentions, put in place lots of different action. And then five years later, a report comes out saying the same problems are still happening. You need to measure where the progress has actually been made. And I think in terms of how we kind of win over clients, the first step is just kind of the education piece of here is how you're doing racial equity and here's how you do in other parts of your business. And it needs to shift to this direction if you're going to see sustained change. But, but with that, and, and, and I don't know whether you agree with this, talking about black, talking about race is still taboo. It's still taboo. And I'm sure from my experience, I've gone in and spoken to clients who have said they haven't got a race issue. Let's get more graduates. Let's get more interns in. That's the only way that we're going to get better. But we're liberal minded. We're not racist. We don't have any bias at all. So, so how is your platform making a difference when you potentially, and I'm not saying this is the reflective of all of the, um, the organizations you work with, clearly not, but how are you getting the platform in where you have those biases of there's not an issue? Yeah, to be honest, I think we're at a stage where, <laughs> where we try and uh, qualify out those companies before we even approach them. So there's often leading indicators of whether a company is ready to engage in this topic or whether they're still in denial. Uh, things like, have they come out with statements? Have they signed up to charters? Have they appointed diversity inclusion managers? Those, those are kind of the indicators that show us that an organization is taking this seriously. And with any form of like product adoption, there's going to be a, an adoption curve where there's going to be laggards and those people are going to wake up, but it's just going to take time and they're going to need to see their competitors um, making change first. Um, there's almost no point trying to go up, uh, like trying to push a ball up a hill when when there are there are various balls elsewhere that can be pushed downhill. So we try and, and go for those, for those ones. Yeah, exactly that. It's um, it's figuring out who's ready for this. And I think as time goes by and more organisations engage with us and more people have kind of their eyes opened, eventually you have less and less organisations who vocalise things like we don't have a problem with race um, because the data will be there as well. The evidence, the measurement will start to come from the other organisations who are kind of taking this seriously. And eventually you'll get to a point where those who are slow to adopt will begin to adopt because everyone else is adopting. Um, in the world, that wouldn't be the case, but we understand that not everyone's going to necessarily get that from the get-go. Yeah, and just, just to add, this isn't something that we're just like theorizing. We've actually seen this behavior in one of the markets where we have a lot of clients. So that's the education sector. Uh, we, we sell our product into a lot of schools. And when we first started selling, quite a few schools uh, that we reached out to basically said that they they know that they've got their stuff together. Um, some were saying that they don't have a problem and rejected us. And then a year later, after we had traction, those same schools were coming back to us asking for help. Um, and I think it's it's a lot of FOMO. It's it's basically just that adoption curve that once you see other organisations doing doing it, you you want to as well. And, and you mentioned education, um, being a, an early adopter. Um, I, Flair um, are, you know, they're not sector agnostic. They, oh, they are sector agnostic, sorry, in terms of their focus. But where have you seen the adoption curve 
be adopted quicker? So you've mentioned education. Is there any other industries like public sector that you've seen them sort of pick things up pretty quickly? Yeah, a few sectors. So interestingly, the charitable sector um, have been really into our product. Um, healthcare, um, we've seen a number of NHS trusts show interest. Quite a few signed have, have bought the product. Um, I think one industry where we will see a tipping point soon will be law. Um, so I think that is that's an industry that has that those dynamics such that um, there there's almost like a herd mentality. Um, so those those are three sectors so far. But I am I imagine that the dynamics can be replicated in quite a few sectors. Yeah, the real challenge is is the first few. It's getting that flywheel started, having those kind of founding partners within a sector who really, really care about this topic, really understand why measurement is so important, come on board and then kind of bring others along with them on the journey. So we're confident that we can replicate that dynamic and we think that that's how movements um, in relation to racial equity have, have worked in the past. It starts with something small, it then kind of snowballs when there's growing interest and growing engagement. So we understand the dynamics and we understand that it is a flywheel mechanism. Um, yeah, just getting the first few to really, I guess, do something bold and do something that others aren't doing is the first challenge. After that, it should be a lot, a lot easier. Look, I think you've, you've both provided such a wonderful overview of, of Flair. Um, and I want to really sort of go back to the beginning. You, you are cousins, and um, I'm sure our viewers would agree who the better looking one is, um, but that's down to them to decide. Um, but growing up around the table on the Sunday, we mentioned about there's a little bit of rice and peas, some matchy, some, some curry goat. Um, who were your role models? Who were, you know, were there family members talking about being entrepreneurs, being about business owners when you both were growing up. So I'm really keen for our listeners and viewers to understand what the start was for, for you both. Hmm. Yeah, really, really good question. So my dad is an entrepreneur. Um, so I've always kind of been around uh, someone who owns their own business. Um, completely different, not in technology, actually in healthcare. Um, but I saw him take a load of risk um, at a, probably quite a similar age, to, well, maybe a bit older than I am now. And I guess like it, it did pay off. So it gave me confidence that I could do it as well. And, and he came from a far riskier, uh, well, he took an even bigger risk. Uh, he'd moved country, uh, came from nothing and managed to succeed. So I think that gave me confidence. What country was that, me? From Ghana. Ghana. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So that that was helpful for you. And what about you, Daryl? Yeah, please. Yeah, it was a bit different. Um, I didn't have any kind of entrepreneurs directly around me, but I think the one thing that my parents and my family instilled me with is a lot of the traits of being an entrepreneur. So pushing me to always want to achieve my best. Um, giving me the confidence that if I put my mind to things that I could achieve things, giving me kind of the, I guess, the mindset of wanting to solve problems 
So even when I think back to when I was at school and I come back and I got, I don't know, 99% in a test and I came top of the class, my mum would be like, why didn't you get 100%? Um, and that kind of pushed me towards, okay, how can I do more? How can I do more? So that's why at school I started doing all sorts of extra stuff. And then I got to uni, I started doing ticket selling with one of my friends as a, a mini business. And I think that's what kind of led to that entrepreneurial path was the mindset that my instilled with me. Um, but I can't say that I had a family of, of entrepreneurs necessarily, but it's more just the mindset that they gave me. No, and, and that's really helpful because again, Nee had a living and has a living example of his dad in terms of the the entrepreneurial component. But also it's it's really important to reflect on your mum and your parents in terms of building those pillars uh, around you in terms of resilient having an investigative um, mindset, which again is super helpful. You know, my my biggest role model was my my mum. I I call her. She was the CEO of a a, a, a distressed company, which is me and my brother, um, with single parent household, having to juggle um, income. She bought a house, but also was a role model and and dealt with morale exceptionally well. So those facets that I was exposed to lead me in my day-to-day life. Now, I want to fast forward because, it, again, it's not been plain sailing, which we've spoken about in 2020 when you, you pivoted. Um, but you both have been extremely vocal about some of the experiences of prejudice that you've had in the technology sector. And I, I don't want to necessarily go into um, examples, but would be really keen to understand some of the experiences that you've had and, and perhaps using this time to reflect to see if the tech sector has got better over that period of time. That's that's super interesting. Um, so I, I feel like a lot of the experiences that I've had have not necessarily been in the tech sector it was more in the sports sector when um when we were building the football app which is i guess unsurprising given everything we know about sport and and racism um i actually think that technology has been better about things um we haven't had any overt instances of racism that that come to mind um that being said the tech sector has a lot, a lot to improve on. Um, you see in the news all the time about instances of racism and racial discrimination in tech and in the products that are being built as well. Um, but on a personal level, I wouldn't say that we have experienced or I have experienced anything direct. I'm not sure if Daryl would agree. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to just trying to cast my mind back. I think probably the biggest challenge has just been the organizations who haven't been open to the fact that there may be a problem um that i feel has been quite demoralizing at times to just see how far some people are from from achieving that kind of progress on racial equity that they don't even recognize that there is any progress to be made um i can't say that's necessarily direct like experience for me personally but just I've seen some of those issues firsthand in in meetings and conversations um, where you can just get a sense that some people just don't really care. 
Um, but luckily, we have, we have conversations with organisations who oftentimes do care because otherwise they'll probably just ignore our email or, or not pick up the phone. So, um, and that's we're fortunate. And, and do you think, again, I think it's important to compare and contrast here, the tech sector compared to football, tech sector is still an embryonic um, industry, very dynamic, um, doesn't necessarily have those embedded behaviours um, compared to, to football. Do, do you think that's a fair sort of assessment, given the fact that, you know, in tech, you, you've had a, a overall positive experience Whereas when Flair was focused on football, which is a 150-year institution, very clear that if you're black or ethnic minority, your place is on the pitch, not within the stadium, not within finance, not within the commercial sector. Do, do you think that that's been one of the biggest differences? Yeah, it's possible, actually. Um, the technology sector, I'd say, is more progressive than, than sport, for sure. Uh, but I still think that a lot of the symptoms are the same in terms of, uh, I guess, like having uh, very few ethnic minorities, particularly black um, people in senior positions. I think that's the that's the truth in, in the tech sector. Like when I look at my phone, this is always my test. When I look at my phone and look at the apps that I use, I count how many have been founded by black people. And I can only see one at the moment, which is Calendly. Um, everything else was founded by someone who's white or Asian. Um, and that that needs to change. Like we need to have people who are leading these organizations, um, ideally founding these organizations who are black and, um, well, who are from ethnic minorities, but black in particular. And I think the only way to really achieve that is to get the funding. Uh, because all of these businesses that we use on our phones, they've all had tens of millions of dollars of funding to get to where they are. And so that funding piece is absolutely key. Um, And when you have black founders, you're going to have, you're going to attract black leaders as well. Um, So it's not just going to be the case of having a couple of black people who are sitting at the top, it's going to kind of funnel upwards and you'll, you'll see more diversity throughout the company and, in senior positions um so yeah i I definitely don't think the tech sector is is a star in in amongst industries i think perhaps we've just been a bit lucky that we haven't personally uh seen anything overt and maybe that's because we're the leaders of the company so um i imagine if we worked for a company it might be different yeah i think it's just indicative of the nature of the racial inequity in tech versus let's say football sport is from my experience just generally a bit different so you've i've tended to see a lot more overt forms of racist behavior um within kind of sport both personally both what i've witnessed both what we've seen at the euros etc um in technology there are loads of issues that exist around things that lee mentioned in terms of opportunities investment wealth equality so there are loads of problems still, but I've personally seen less of the kind of overt racist behaviour um, to me directly. But as we mentioned, maybe that will be a bit surprising anyway, because if you take a call with us or have a conversation, it's probably because you're willing to learn, you're on the journey already. So it's probably less likely that we'd experience that um, as founders of a company like this. Wonderful. Um, we're, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, gentlemen. Um 
And there, there's a, a couple of questions I want to make sure um, I can ask you both. But before we do that, what has been the most rewarding part of your career today? And I'm really keen to obviously speak from a professional standpoint, but also a personal one. And in that answer, I'm, I'm really keen for you to be able to provide me and our listeners and viewers a little bit of context around how you balance being an entrepreneur. Again, 2021 was a massive year for Flair Impact, raised $1.8 million, hired a significant amount of people. I think we're, we're up to 12, 13 folks, and you're hiring more. So really keen to talk about how you balance the life of an entrepreneur and also what's been the most rewarding um, piece of your career, both professionally and also personally. Yeah, so I'd say so far, probably the most rewarding thing we did was um, the very first time that we raised funding because um, it was such a game changing thing for us um, when we first had the idea for Flair Football we couldn't actually execute on it because neither of us could code. So we needed to raise money to be able to hire developers. And um, a company took a bet on us and uh, a calculated bet on us and um, yeah, invested in us. And that was just, it was a life-changing moment because at that moment we changed from being, I guess, people with an idea to actually being business owners. Um, and the second question was how we balance the time. So it's tricky, um, especially with Flair Football, where we were having to do a lot of uh, work in the after hours when kids were off school and on weekends when football was being played. I think with Flair Impact, um, life is a bit more balanced because our, our working hours are more so dictated by our clients. Um, so most evenings, um, I do get some free time weekends I do but I think what's trickiest is just the business is always on your mind because it is your baby if it doesn't succeed it's down to you so many people put money into it um, so you need to make it work um, so yeah it, it does dictate a lot of mind share it's very tiring the responsibility can be a burden um, but at the same time, it's also incredibly rewarding and I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Yeah. And from my perspective, in terms of what's been most rewarding, I think after this most recent fond round, we did like a welcome to the team for all the new joiners and it was sadly virtual. So we had like a Zoom call where I could just see everyone's faces and it was just incredible just thinking that a year and a half before we were literally raising a GoFundMe to, to stay in business. And then at this point now, we were there with a team of so many people who had really believed in the vision, believed in the company and believed in us as founders. And that for me was just a really rewarding feeling to see all those faces on the screen at the same time. Um, that then links to kind of my thoughts on what it's like to be a founder and balancing work and life. There is just a lot of pressure you're ultimately not just responsible for your own success, your own food on the table, but also that of your team, the investors that have believed in you, all the people who kind of are aware of what you're doing and are kind of aware of your progress. So that could be your family, your friends, 
And I guess in that sense, you've got to always have it on your mind. How do I improve the business? How do we keep growing? And that means it can sometimes be difficult to kind of take a step back and just relax and have downtime. Um, practically speaking for me, the things that I try and do and remind myself of is just to give myself a few hours to do things that kind of just take my mind off work. So I've been going on walks. I have like a daily step goal where every single day without fail, I'll go out, just get some fresh air, go for a walk, listen to a podcast, listen to music. Um, I always watch every single Liverpool match. I'm a massive Liverpool fan. And oh, it was going so well, this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that for me is just a non-negotiable and things like that seem small. But for me, those are the little moments where I can just have some time for myself and not really think about work so much. So those are the things that kind of keep me centred. But yeah, it's it's difficult. But again, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Um, I'm so passionate about what we're working on. And I'm sure that it's all going to be worth it in the end as well. Wonderful. And look, personally, I would like to thank you both, not only for joining this podcast, but for the hard work you've put in, not just over the last 18 months, but the last five years. Um, I've got a huge amount of respect for you as, as individuals, um, your perseverance, your drive. Um, and perhaps you may not realise this, but your role models, not just to, 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 to black people, um, but to many young people who want to step away from corporate and be entrepreneurial, lead social impact. I'm in my early 40s and I look, at, look up to you guys in terms of what you've done. So you're trailblazers. Um, I appreciate you both. And I've got no doubt Flair Impact is going to be exceptionally um, uh, a game changer in the industry. Now, I would really recommend for our listeners um, and viewers to go to www.flareimpact.com um, to have a look at their wonderful website, which gives you news, views, ideas in terms of some of the work that they've done. Um, but I think I'll leave the last closing remarks to my wonderful guests, me and Daryl, just in terms of if there's anything else they would like to add uh, before we close up on today's podcast. Well, no, thank thank you so, so much for having us. Um, I would just add, please do connect with us on LinkedIn. Um, we're always trying to build our network. Um, and that is probably what I'd advise people to to really invest heavily in is, is your network. Um, it's such an asset to have. Um, probably the most important asset that anyone can have is their network. So please do do connect with us. Yeah. And the last thing I'd say, maybe a bit of a plug, but we're always hiring, whether that's salespeople, developers, marketing. Um, so if anyone's listening to this and is really interested in what we're doing and maybe thinks that they'd be a good fit for the team, then definitely reach out as well. But yeah, as Nee said, building your network is so important. So even if you just want to chat with one of us and learn more about our journey, then definitely do reach out. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and wish you continued success. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Progression Puzzle, brought to you by Barrington Hibbert Associates. If you enjoyed this episode, which I truly hope you have, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. For more information on how Barrington Hibberts can help you to maximize the power of difference, head over to 
barringtonhibbert.com. Join us next time for more pieces of the progression puzzle. Thank you.